Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. This week, we have as our guest, Dr. Kevin Gussowitz, who is the, the 12th Chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, his counterpart at NC State as our guest. And uh, by the way, he was uh, extremely complimentary of your friendship. And we'll talk a little bit about the cooperation between NC State and UNC and the other schools in the system as we go on with the program. But anyway, welcome to the program, Chancellor. Thanks so much for having me, Don. I might mention that the Chancellor is a newer scientist by uh, training and is is a concussion researcher and uh, is well known in that field and has uh, provided a, a great deal of information on, on concussions and has been uh, instrumental in the changes that both the NCAA and the NFL have made. We also hope to talk a little bit about that. But first, uh, Chancellor, if you would, let's just talk a little bit about what the role of the chancellor is, because it is a really tough job. And there are so many areas of, of, of concern that you are dealing with each week that uh, very often people just don't think about uh, just how much you are faced with as you come into the office each day. Well, let me just start off by saying it's always about the students. I tell um, our team here, and we have an amazing leadership team at Carolina that uh, we're here for the students. I talk often about being strategic, being bold, and always ending by saying we're, we have to be student focused. And so uh, right now, uh, as we're getting ready for the start of a new academic year, uh, I'm focused on uh, you know how we prepare our students for what happens while they're enrolled at Carolina, uh, as well as after their time at Carolina. We're, you know, we're equipping students with skills and knowledge to have a competitive edge uh, in an evolving workforce. I tell people we're preparing students uh, at Carolina today for jobs and careers that don't even yet exist. And uh, you know, we want to foster an environment where our students can exercise the, the empathy and critical thinking necessary to strengthen our democracy, uh, which is something that we're focused on as part of our strategic plan at Carolina. And uh, it's a it's a big place. It's an exciting place, as you know, and one that uh, I am thrilled to be leading right now. But again, it's alongside an incredible leadership team. Well, you deal with so many different constituencies. I mean, you have parents to contend with. You mentioned the students, of course, and being student focused is important. But also there are 356,000 plus alumni that that uh, are interested in what's going on at the university. Then there's the Board of Trustees and the Board of Governors. There's the General Assembly. And, of course, there are the citizens of the state of North Carolina. So you have a lot of bosses. <laughs> I do. Uh, I, I learned that pretty quickly. A lot of experts, too. Uh, first day in this office here in the South Building, I, uh, I joked with someone. I said, I never realized, uh, you know, how many experts there were within about 200 yards of this, uh, you know, uh, radius of the South Building. And uh, but I, you know, it, it, those opinions are important and uh, and the people that I feel that we have to respond to and that we should respond to are important uh, constituents, whether they're, uh, you know, the taxpayers of, of North Carolina, whether they're parents of students here, uh, board of trustees member, board of governors members, faculty, students, staff. Uh, and so uh, I do have a lot of, of, of people that, that care deeply about uh, Carolina. And part of my job as chancellor is to be listening and to collecting data and information, and but then at the end of the day, needing to make, usually being the person that has to make that decision. Uh, and sometimes those are challenging and, and difficult decisions. Well, UNC at Chapel Hill is unique in one regard. It is the only 
a public school that has operated in three different centuries, which is interesting because you were number four, you were number one as far as uh, as a public uh, school. Uh, talk briefly about the the challenges of being a public instead of a private, and uh, and and how do they vary in uh, in many of the different areas that uh, that uh, you have to contend with. Well, Don, you know, I, we'll celebrate our 230th birthday on October the 12th. It's University Day. And uh, I tell people, not, not only are we the first of the publics, but I really believe we're the most public of the publics. We're passionately public. Everything that we do uh, is for the public good. And uh, if you look at uh, our strategic plan, if you look at our curriculum, uh, if you look at the emphasis we place on service uh, uh, to the citizens of North Carolina and beyond, uh, that's that's who we are. It's part of it's woven in the fabric of, of Carolina. Um, as I look out at the old well, which I'm doing right now, uh, and uh, see people taking pictures out there often, and I, I say that I want them to be as proud to take that photograph at the old well today as they were uh, perhaps 40, 50 years ago when they took that same photograph as a graduate in their Carolina blue caps and gowns, and. Um, and so we're, we're proud to be passionately public and uh, and we're fortunate to have, uh, you know, the taxpayers of North Carolina and the General Assembly that believe in Carolina, that believe in our mission and uh, support us in the way that they do. About $580 million a year uh, comes uh, in, in state appropriation to our roughly $4 billion uh, a year budget. And so... Um, that's what it means to be public. It's it's then making certain that people know there's a great return on that investment as we provide service to the state of North Carolina, prepare the next generation of leaders uh, in our graduates. Uh, uh, you know those 300 and uh, roughly 60,000 living alums. Well, it's uh, it's certainly a, a challenge, and and uh, now of course UNC is a part of the UNC system, uh, and but uh, the other thing that I think that uh, I find that as I travel the state, most people do not have the full understanding of how important research universities are. And of course, NC State, Carolina are two of the best research universities in the, in the country. Uh, talk a little bit about your role as a research university. Well, I, you said it uh, beautifully, Don. I mean, we are, uh, as I like to say, an anchor institution in driving uh, the economy of uh, the state of North Carolina. And so much of that is through our research. We also have one of the largest healthcare systems in the world, uh, a nationally prominent athletics program. Uh, but so much of, of what we do here uh, is driven uh, around solving the grand challenges of our time. We are a a $1.2 billion a year uh, research enterprise. Uh, our uh, world-class research has quadrupled over the past two decades, uh, firmly establishing us as one of America's top-ranked research institutions. And, you know, I think that success uh, spurs opportunity and innovation that grows North Carolina's economy. It helps create jobs and uh, supports uh, uh, Tar Heel businesses and, you um, so this is important. It's a really important part of, of, of our mission. Um, one example, just uh, this past May, we received a seven, $70 million uh, grant from the NIH to accelerate uh, high impact research that improves human health and advances health equity. And so a lot of that work, that $1.2 billion a year is around um, health outcomes and improving 
the way we cure diseases and diagnose diseases. Uh, but a lot of it's also done through uh, our social science and humanities departments and uh, natural science departments and some of the work that we do. You mentioned earlier in the area of traumatic brain injury and, um, you know, educating uh, some of that research is around educating society about the importance of, of how to use data in decision making and protecting uh, society from uh, some of the dangers that are out there in terms of protecting our democracy and things of that nature. Another advantage that we have in North Carolina is the fact that UNC Chapel Hill and NC State and Duke University, all research universities, and they're located so closely together that you often work together. We do. And I think that's uh, one of the unique uh, features of, of the triangle here, RT, you know, RTP. And uh, we've got several great uh, research universities uh, in, in the area. And, and you've mentioned Duke. NC State and Carolina working collaboratively, and you know I would add uh, several other schools around the system uh, that uh, we care deeply about in, in partnering with uh, North Carolina A and T, North Carolina Central, uh, UNC Charlotte. Uh, we do uh, we have a number of uh, initiatives with Wake Forest and um, and, and several of the other schools uh, across the state, and uh, that's the way that uh, that we should be solving uh, the grand challenges of our time is to to collaborate and uh, nc state certainly brings uh, a, a lot of expertise in the engineering space uh, we have a uh, one of the best uh, biomedical engineering programs in the country uh, it's a joint program with nc state and carolina uh, we have an outstanding uh, as you know school of medicine and healthcare system here that partners with an outstanding uh, uh, engineering school at, at NC State and uh, and at Duke as well, and so those partnerships are are, are important, and uh, uh, we'll continue to prepare. As I said, the next generation of leaders to be out there solving those problems. Well, it's uh, it's a challenging situation, and but uh, again, the, the the amount of federal and and research dollars that comes into this area uh, at Chapel Hill, at State, and at Duke is a real driver of the economy and sometimes gets lost in the importance of what it brings to the state and particularly to the Triangle area. Um, we've got lots of things we want to talk about. Uh, uh, and in one session, we want to talk about the challenges facing higher education because there are a lot of them. We want to talk about the cost of education uh, and student debt. We also want to spend some time talking about a recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action and admissions that uh, UNC was involved in. We'll talk about that. Uh, and we, we're going to talk a little bit about athletics. And uh, it, uh, that's very much in the news these days with the NIL situation, the portal, uh, the conference realignments, and so forth. So you have a, you have your hands full. <laughs> We, we certainly do. And, uh, but again, it's about building uh, great teams to help uh, around uh, these issues. Y you know, I will say that uh, you may have seen the news. We just announced uh, yesterday that uh, Penny Gordon Larson, uh, a longtime faculty member here at Carolina, is going to uh, step in and become the permanent uh, vice chancellor for research at Carolina. This is a critical role on our campus. Penny's been serving in an interim uh, role in that, in, in the office of sponsored research and, uh, so she will help to drive a lot of that interdisciplinary research and uh, partnering with other institutions in the in the region. Uh, but also, uh, I, I, I want to just mention that we announced a few weeks ago the hiring of Dedrick Carter as our next uh, vice chancellor for innovation, entrepreneurship and economic development and our chief innovation officer. And we've recruited him from 
uh, Wash U out in St. Louis, uh, where he serves in a similar role. And this is a critically important position that, that uh, brings cohesion and strategy to our innovation and economic development work. And he really joins us at the perfect time uh, with uh, uh, the uh, Innovate Carolina uh, Junction now open on Franklin Street, and we look to make other investments in, in the innovation spaces. We're building out uh, an innovation corridor that's going to connect the downtown part, you know, of Chapel Hill up through the main part of campus and over through to the health affairs side. And uh, this is going to be, uh, I think, a game changer for the region. And I really want UNC Chapel Hill and, and Chapel Hill to be sort of the anchor institution and the anchor um, region uh, to dr help drive that economy. And, and it's done through leaders like uh, Penny and Dedrick. And we want to talk about the 67,000 applications you had for <laughs> admission to the, cha to the Chapel Hill campus. That's quite a, quite a number of students that are saying, hey, we'd like to come to school there. Our guest is Chancellor Kevin Gutswitz, Chancellor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And we'll be back to talk about the many topics that we've brought up. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Psst, Steven. Who said that? Me, down here. Ugh, what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the 14th uh, or the 12th Chancellor of the University of North Carolina, Dr. Kevin Gutschowitz. Um, and uh, we have already had one interesting segment. We want to move this time and talk a little bit more about the challenges facing higher education. Costs continue to rise. Uh, and of course, the ever changing situation as far as what you teach and how you teach it and so forth. So uh, I'm just going to sort of introduce that as a topic and let you go at it. Well, Don, you know, you're right. Uh, the cost of higher education has been um, increasing over the past uh, decade or two. Uh, and uh, because of that, there's a lot of scrutiny and uh, higher education in general is under the microscope. And if you look at some of the um, opinion polls about higher ed, uh, the, the positivity rate rating is, is dropped as a result. And I think this is one of the major reasons, you know, what is the return on investment? And, um, and so, uh, you know, I will say that I'm very proud that uh, uh, 
our university has never wavered from our charter uh, where we uh, are here to serve the people of North Carolina, develop the next generation of leaders. And one of the ways that we do that is by offering a world-class education that is affordable to all. And uh, I talk about that often. And, and that's why I think we're uh, one of only two public universities uh, practicing fully need-blind admissions. Uh, our students are admitted uh, solely based on merit and the, the value that they bring to the university and, and not just their ability to pay. Uh, but that comes with an expense. We, you know, we recently completed a capital campaign that we can talk about later uh, where we were able to raise a billion dollars in uh, financial aid and support, uh, financial support for students. And, uh, and that's a big part of, of, of this, uh, as is the commitment from the state of North Carolina to allow us uh, to use some of the general fund uh, for uh, supporting students that, that uh, are in need uh, so that we can uh, bring students from every socioeconomic uh, background uh, to, to Carolina, those who've earned their way here. So that's a big uh, uh, challenge across higher ed in general. And I don't wanna sound as if it's not a challenge here, uh, but I'm, I'm just proud of the way in which we've been able to keep uh, education affordable here and to be able to provide those opportunities for every student who's earned their, their way to Carolina. Tell me a little bit about faculty recruitment and also retention. Has uh, COVID changed that situation to any great degree? You know, I'm, I'm proud of our faculty because uh, it, it was a challenge. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say our faculty and our staff because uh, we never closed this university down throughout the, the pandemic. Uh, we certainly had to change operations. We had to uh, think about the way in which we, um, we, we were going to deliver instruction. I remember sitting in the conference room here in the South Building uh, on, uh, I think it was March the 10th or 11th and, uh, of 2020, and I convened the leadership team, and I brought the chair and the secretary of the faculty, and, uh, and I said, folks, we're going to go entirely remote uh, teaching uh, when we get back from uh, spring break. We were just about to go on spring break. And I had uh, people looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, chair of the faculty, Lloyd Kramer, who's a good friend, he said, why we, we don't have, you know, there are very few of us who have taught remotely or taught online. And I said, uh, uh, Lloyd, I said, I know exactly how many have. 14% uh, uh, of us have actually taught a, a, an online class before, and the other 86% of us, me included, uh, are going to uh, uh, learn to teach uh, remotely over the next few weeks. <laughs> We're going to deliver high quality education and get it done. And we did. And uh, uh, proud of the way that, you know, that was sort of maybe one of the silver linings of the pandemic is, is that we did challenge ourselves. We stepped outside our comfort zones and learned how to uh, expand our footprint at Carolina, delivering uh, more opportunities to more uh, people of North Carolina, more, more citizens of North Carolina that want a part of, uh, of our educational opportunities. And so uh, our faculty, uh, vast majority of them, nearly all of them are now back teaching in person, but some of them have, uh, you know, decided, well, I'm going to offer a summer course online or, uh, you know, get involved in some distance learning uh, in some of our study abroad opportunities. So, uh, and, and our staff, I will say, have been a big part of that because they've had to, again, help to keep the doors open. And, uh, and we've come back, I think, stronger than ever uh, from the pandemic uh, uh, as a, in, in some ways, a reimagined university. Student debt is a problem, and of course, it's in the news because of a recent court decision about uh, elimination of student, uh, past student debt. 
uh, is student debt getting better or worse as uh, we as we move forward? Well, again, I, I I think that because here at Carolina and across the the UNC system, uh, we have kept uh, tuition flat uh, for seven consecutive years now, and so I I am uh, for in-state residents, it's gone up uh, a little in for out-of-state uh, students, but. Uh, so I think in that regard, we've been able to keep that relatively flat. But uh, but uh, you know the cost of attendance uh, when you add in books and and, and other uh, you know things, textbooks and uh, dining, and you know it, it has gone up uh, to some extent. And so there is probably increased debt there for those that uh, uh, that, that, that need that support. But uh, but again nowhere near what I know colleagues of, of mine in, in some of the private institutions across the country are experiencing, uh, but it still is a concern and something we have to keep our eyes on. We, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, student debt and we've talked about uh, students. Uh, I think as I, I believe I read where UNC had 67,000 applicants applying for the roughly 4,500 seats that are available for freshmen. Uh, the enrollment at Chapel Hill is capped, and uh, it's also capped for out-of-state students. At present time, you're just under, as I understand, about 20,000 undergraduates and about uh, almost 12,000 graduate students. Is that the proper size, or do you anticipate seeing UNC Chapel Hill growing? I, I think you know we have grown uh, a bit over the past decade, uh, so your, your numbers are very, very uh, accurate there, Don. We're, we're sitting right at about 31,000 total students, and um, we are a bit space constrained. Uh, some of our residential halls are in uh, need of, of, of repair and renovation, so we have to think about that. Uh, I've said uh, that I'd like to grow, uh, but we have to grow responsibly in, in that we want to be sure that uh, every student that's earned their way to Carolina, uh, that they're here and they get the quality experience. Uh, uh, in the classroom, in the extracurricular offerings, uh, and um, and and that can be a challenge if you start to increase dramatically the the enrollment. And so uh, we're working closely with our teams. You have to think about the uh, you know the number of advisors. Advisors are play a really important role uh, on any uh, campus like ours. And we have to be sure that those support systems are in place. We got to be sure that we have, you know, the libraries, the dining halls, the ability for students to, you know, experience Caroline in the way that uh, that you did and others uh, with, with the extracurricular opportunities. So, uh, we, we will continue to look at ways to grow, and uh, we're, one of the ways we're doing that is through a, a new program called a Global Launch Program, where we're sending about 120 students, first-year students, uh, abroad to study. Uh, in their very first semester at Carolina uh, this fall uh, to study abroad. This is actually the fourth year of the program, and uh, we're excited about it. And they come back in January as a full-time in-residence uh, student uh, when we have more capacity, because we graduate uh, about 600, 700 undergrad students in the every December, and it opens up some additional space in that spring semester. So we're, we're getting creative. We're doing some more, as I mentioned earlier, around online digital learning that, that has allowed us to offer uh, the opportunities up to, to additional students as well. Would you comment on the Carolina Covenant program? 
Sure. So this is a, just an incredible uh, program. It's an opportunity that uh, we're now in about, uh, it's, it's, we're approaching the 20 years of the Carolina Covenant. <clears throat> and uh, this is where um, first generation, uh, predominantly first generation college students uh, uh, have an opportunity to uh, study uh, here uh, uh, as debt free and graduate as debt free as possible. So it's a, uh, essentially a a, a full ride. It's now it's merit based, uh, uh, and uh, it's, it's a, need, a merit and need based uh, scholarship program, and uh, it's in the neighborhood of, of about uh, fifteen to sixteen percent of uh, uh, of our um, students are, are Carolina Covenant students, and uh, we're proud of the fact that we're able to uh, to bring uh, these individuals who've earned their way to Carolina but would not otherwise have been able to afford it uh, here to Carolina. And uh, it's complemented by our Blue Sky Scholars Program, uh, which is uh, uh, for middle-income families uh, that uh, graduate as debt-free as possible. Uh, doesn't provide quite the same level of funding uh, as the um, Carolina Covenant uh, Scholarship does, but um, it's for again for middle-income uh, families. Well, it's it's so important because uh, uh, this is the way that we. Uh... Uh, offer opportunity for, as you said, those uh, uh, first-generation families that are getting a college education for the first time has a great impact on the state of North Carolina. You're an outsider from the state of North Carolina. You moved in. You joined the faculty in 1995. But North Carolina is kind of a special state when it comes to the emphasis of uh, how we feel about education. And that's always been the case with higher education in North Carolina. And I think we're recognized uh, as as this uh, role in this role across the country. I agreed. I mean, I, I will say that we are. Uh, I, I I tell people all the time. There's maybe one or two other states uh, that support higher education uh, at a higher rate uh, than than what uh, what we are supported uh, here by the General Assembly in North Carolina, and um, just in terms of uh, state appropriation and uh, placing more emphasis on quality um, education uh, and the the cap that you mentioned earlier this is such that 82 percent of uh, places like carolina and nc state um, uh, ecu and unc charlotte that uh, 82 percent of every incoming class um, must be uh, north carolina residents and this is putting the taxpayers dollars back into um, to help uh, you know create the the future leaders of North Carolina and um, and so we're, we're very fortunate and uh, and the other thing is that so many of our graduate students that cap that 82 percent in-state uh, uh, cap does not apply to graduate students but one of the things that we're looking closely at is the percentage of graduate students who um, stay in North Carolina and work here uh, and contribute to driving the economy of North Carolina or providing health care uh, or uh, conducting, uh, you know, life-saving research uh, uh, by staying in the state of North Carolina, and so uh, there's a, a great return on the investment because uh, uh, we cover a lot of there's tuition remission that comes from state appropriation that uh, that's uh, that goes to those graduate students. So um, I agree with you, Don. We're we're very fortunate here. In the next segment of uh, Carolina Newsmakers, we're going to turn to. A discussion about athletics, because like a student debt and the cost of education, that's very much in the news these days. Our guest is Dr. Kevin Gutswitz. He's the 
12th Chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And uh, we're going to take a break. And as I said, we'll come back and talk about athletics. We have uh, some other topics that we'll talk about in the final segment, including the very successful fundraising campaign that you just completed. All that and more coming up on Carolina Newsmakers. Right now, let's take time out for these messages. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, the Chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, Dr. Kevin Gutzowitz is our guest. As we said earlier, he is a neuroscientist by training and has done extensive research on concussions, especially in college and professional athletics. And so that gives you sort of a unique perspective to uh, uh, speak about athletics. And of course, as we said in the uh, last segment, uh, college athletics very much in the news these days with the NIL name, image, likeness concerns, the conference realignment, and the portal. So a lot of changes. And of course, uh, the budgets keep going up. Television becomes very important. So Again, with all that as an introduction, I'm going to sort of turn the microphone over to you and give us your perspective as chancellor on where college athletics and in particular, the uh, athletic program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill is heading. Yeah, well, uh, Don, you are right. There's uh, the, the changing landscape of intercollegiate athletics is uh, certainly in play. Uh, it's uh, you can't pick up, uh, uh, you know, a newspaper or turn on uh uh, the, the news on a given day without hearing something or reading something about it. We are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in, in, in athletics and intercollegiate sport. Uh, as you just said, my research intersects with it. I, I believe in um, Carolina being that place that uh, prides itself in excellence in the classroom, uh, excellence in our research laboratories and uh, in our uh, performance studios and uh, and also uh, on our athletics fields and uh, and I uh, I love the fact that our just like our faculty our world-class faculty are um, met most of them lifelong mentors for our students I think our coaches 
uh, are very much, uh, they become uh, lifelong mentors for our student athletes. And so uh, I'm proud of the fact that it's a, a major part of, of, uh, uh, of our campus culture. And, but, uh, but there are challenges becoming more and more expensive with uh, uh, name, image, and likeness uh, out there. And the, the challenge there is simply that uh, there is no, uh, the NCAA has sort of walked away from this and put very few rules in place around it. Uh, uh, the uh, states have come in and in many states now have come in and um, created their own legislation around name, image and likeness that has created some competitive uh, advantages for <laughs> for, um, for some institutions and it's created uh, competitive disadvantages for others. And so uh, until I think the federal government comes in and is willing to uh, put some federal legislation in place around this, uh, I think you're going to continue to see the sort of patchwork approach that's out there now uh, that's creating a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of challenges for, for it. And I think it's putting uh, intercollegiate sports uh, in, um, in jeopardy in some ways. Um, you know, I think you mentioned the transfer portal. I think that's another uh, challenge. It's, it's tough because we, we we take pride, as I said, here at Carolina, and I know most of, I think, if not all of our schools in the ACC, in taking pride on placing emphasis on um, the, the academics and athletics. And when you have a transfer portal where a student athlete can uh, just bounce around from one uh, institution to another fairly freely, uh, you're you're losing uh, the, the the academic part of it, and. Um, and if you look at the, it'll be interesting to see the data uh, this year, the number of students, it was just an exorbitant number of students, athletes that entered that transfer portal. And many of them, I, I believe the statistic at one point was over half of them were not going to find a new landing place. And so uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how the portal is used differently this coming year uh, after what we saw this past year. Uh, but it is a challenge. And um uh, and so, uh, you know, you mentioned conference realignment. Um, since June 30th of last year, when UCLA and USC uh, left the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten, uh, there's been a lot of concern around the country about you know, who's going to make that next move. And, uh, and so it certainly has created some questions for us within the ACC. And uh, are we uh, committed as a, a conference of, of, uh, of 15 schools uh, to... Um, becoming a, um, you know, of staying together and uh, looking at the, the, one of the challenges that we have is that we have a long uh, term contract that goes, a media contract with ESPN that goes through 2036. And as you well know, the Big Ten uh, just uh, landed a, a big contract predominantly with Fox and a few of the other major networks uh, that's going to, over time here in the next few years, we'll be paying uh, those uh, member institutions in the Big Ten uh, uh, upwards of you know, 70 to 80 million dollars, if not more, per year um, when the other conferences are significantly less than that. And so are we at a competitive disadvantage because of that? And uh, most would agree that we are. And so we're working really hard on trying to find ways to uh, to go back to ESPN and think about renegotiating contracts so that we can um, continue to be competitive. So 
Um, so I touched on all three of those uh, topics, and you may have more specific questions for me. No, uh, you know, there's, there's so many, there's more uh, questions than there are answers. And so I, I don't know that you can add much more than you've already added because there aren't any real answers yet. And uh, that's uh, something that I guess we'll just have to work out with time. Let's talk a little bit about the recent U.S. Supreme Court ruling on affirmative action. The uh, UNC and uh, was chosen as the target school for privates, and Harvard was uh, chosen as a private, uh, the school that was uh, targeted as a private. But essentially, this ruling affects all the colleges and universities, uh, and uh, we we were sort of picked out, I guess, as a as a uh, front porch school to uh, to uh, use as an example. Talk a little bit about that and how that's going to change what happens as far as admissions at Chapel Hill. So, uh, you know, Harvard and uh, Carolina being the oldest, uh, Carolina the oldest public, uh, Harvard the oldest uh, private, uh, was probably had something to do with uh, uh, the reason that, that we were uh, selected uh, by the plaintiffs. <laughs> But uh, obviously, not, not necessarily the degree, the uh, selection you wanted, but that was the way it worked out. No, it's the way it worked out. And uh, obviously, Don, you know, this was not the outcome we were hoping for. Uh, however, we respect the decision and we'll follow the law. And uh, I made that clear to the campus community last Thursday uh, in a campus message, and we're continuing to uh, to work on this. We we are taking uh, the time to carefully review the decision and determine, you know, how it will exactly impact uh, our campus uh, but what is outlined in our strategic plan uh, carolina next uh, remains the same and is unchanged and that is that we will uh, continue to build our community together it's the first strategic initiative in our strategic plan uh, carolina is committed to bringing together talented students with uh, different perspectives and life experiences and to making an affordable uh, high quality education accessible to the people of north carolina and beyond uh, as i mentioned earlier and uh, we, you know, we'll have to, we'll have more to say as we review the decision, and uh, that uh, we will uh, be sure to continue to communicate with our campus uh, and and others across the state on uh, what this means for us. But um, it, uh, uh, you know, I want to just continue to emphasize that uh, every student who has earned their um, admission to Caroline has has really earned their place here, and. Uh, that's one of the things I think that I worried a little bit with with the decision is how some of those um, students might feel about uh, uh, what how the decision could be interpreted. And so we're just reassuring uh, everyone that uh, we have a, a really good sound admissions process. Uh, we're going to have to change some of the ways in which we um, uh, will review um, applicants moving forward in the future. As you mentioned, we had sixty over sixty five thousand applications this year for about forty six. 4,700 spots, and so it's a place that uh, is highly desirable to, uh, to to a lot of people, and uh, uh, we want to be sure that we can uh, provide those opportunities to to all those that uh, can earn their way here. For those who are have not followed this uh, case in detail, is exactly what was the ruling? What uh, was the case, and what was the ruling? Well, the 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 rule the, the case was essentially plaintiff claiming that uh, the race should not be permissible, uh, that it was in violation of the Constitution uh, is equal protection clause. And, um, and we use race, as do thousands of 
institutions across the country as one of many factors uh, in our whole, what's called a holistic admissions process. And so uh, the plaintiffs claimed that, um, that that was in violation of the Constitution, uh, despite the fact that there had been rulings um, uh, two years ago, we, uh, we, we persevered in the uh, district uh, court uh, in Winston-Salem uh, with the same plaintiffs. Uh, but they appealed it to the Supreme Court. Uh, and despite the fact that uh, for decades, uh, this is a decades long um, uh, sort of admissions um, policy that's been used nationwide uh, from cases going back to the uh, to, to the 1980s. And uh, but at, at any rate, that's all been overturned as of last week. And it uh, essentially means that uh, no institution will be allowed to use uh, race as a factor, um, even one of many factors in their admissions uh, decisions. One of the other things that North Carolina takes pride in is our community college system. And uh, for the last, I guess, uh, maybe 15 years or 10 years, uh, especially, there's been a growing sense of cooperation between the uh, university schools and, and including UNC Chapel Hill and the community college system. Would you uh, talk a little bit about how that's working out? Well, it's working out great. In fact, I just had lunch today with uh, uh, Lisa Chapman, who is the, uh, uh, the, the president uh, down at uh, Central Carolina Community College. Uh, it's an outstanding uh, uh, community college uh, that we enjoy uh, welcoming students from with their associate's degrees. Uh, through our C-STEP program, which is a program uh, that we started uh, about 16 years ago uh, that um, uh, we're, we're set up with 14 community colleges uh, across North Carolina that um, allow students, uh, we, we embed some uh, advising uh, resources into those schools to help prepare them for a seamless uh, transfer to Carolina after they've earned their associate's degree. And uh, it's been a very successful program and uh, one that, that we're very proud of. Uh, but there are 57 community colleges across North Carolina that we uh, welcome uh, students to Carolina from. And uh, uh, it's, uh, you know, there are, and, and some of these students are non-traditional students uh, that uh, perhaps, uh, uh, you know, are, you know, starting a family or, or working two jobs while going to school part time. Uh, some of them working two jobs and going uh, full time but we try to find a path for them uh, to come to Carolina. And I know that uh, other schools across the system uh, welcome uh, students from these outstanding community colleges. So we're, it's a great system and one that uh, I look forward to continuing to partner more uh, with, uh, which is why uh, I enjoyed uh, sharing lunch with Lisa uh, today. Well, and actually this is another way where you can actually, in some cases, bring down the cost of the, the whole degree cost uh, by spending at least one year in community college and cutting down the uh, attendance at the uh, university. Uh, we also at Chapel Hill, I think, have a unique arrangement with the military and kind of maybe 40 seconds for you to comment on that. Yeah, we are uh, every year over the past uh, decade, I would say, we have increased the enrollment of uh, of uh, military veterans and or uh, uh, students of military families and uh, placing additional resources, raising uh, money uh, for uh, scholarship and aid. Uh, uh, and uh, Stephen Debbie Vetter created an incredible program to help support uh, 
uh, families, uh, military families, so that their uh, children could come to Carolina. And, uh, and we're proud of that. They bring some, you talk about bringing different lived experiences uh, into the classroom. Those of uh, military veterans and or students from military families is really important, and uh, we're proud of that. Our guest is Dr. Kevin Gutzowitz, uh, and uh, we have one final segment. We're going to talk about new initiatives and a very successful campaign, uh, fundraising campaign in our final segment. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, Chancellor Kevin Gutzowitz, uh, the uh, 12th Chancellor of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And uh, we have talked about all sorts of interesting things. If you have missed the first segment of the program, you might want to go back and listen to it online on carolinanewsmakers.com. Uh, let's talk a little bit uh, in this segment about the new initiatives and uh uh, and you've got so many always uh, going on at Chapel Hill and as, as, as far as the entire UNC system, for that matter, all sorts of interesting things going on. But let's talk about uh, the Carolina Next program and the innovations that you are bringing forth uh, that the students can look forward to in the next uh, eight or 10 years. Yeah, well, well, thanks, Don. You know, the first one I just want to mention is one called Carolina Cross 100. And uh, uh, this is uh, a five-year initiative that we launched two years ago to form meaningful partnerships in all 100 counties uh, across North Carolina uh, to respond to some of the statewide challenges stemming from uh, or exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And Anita Brown Graham, uh, who uh, many of our listeners will know, one of our incredible faculty members from the School of Government is leading this effort. Uh, she launched, uh, I was standing with her up at, uh, at Durham Tech, uh, when it was speaking about one of our community colleges, uh, uh, just about a year ago, launched uh, the first program in the Carolina Cross 100 initiative, and it's called Our State, Our Work. Uh, and we had over 150 undergrad students working with Anita and her team on this. But it's uh, uh, the Our State, Our Work initiative is connecting unemployed or 
underemployed young adults with uh, better jobs uh, in response to disruptions in the U.S. labor market and uh, a new initiative that we just launched a few weeks ago called Our State, Our Well-Being program will work with uh, local communities to identify and implement strategies to prevent suicide and improve resources uh, available for mental health and behavioral health. And so uh, couldn't be more pleased with the work that Anita and the team are doing on this. Should be a great uh, uh, person for you to think about interviewing in a, in a, in a, uh, a future segment of your show. Um, but other initiatives, uh, you know, we, we launched uh, a new school, the first new school in about 40 years at Carolina uh, last June. Uh, it's, it's, uh, we just wrapped up the first year of our new school of uh, data science and society. And uh, I'm eager to, to share more about uh, uh, the, the UNC School of Data Science Society and, and sort of what this means for how uh, Carolina is contributing to our state's workforce and economy. And, uh, the, we just announced the first degree program uh, at the school, and it's an online uh, Master of Applied Data Science. And um, you know, the program uh, provides recent graduates and, and working professionals with a, I guess I'd say a, a more comprehensive understanding of the, the data lifecycle, uh, technical expertise in areas such as programming and machine learning, and opportunities to connect with uh, industry professionals in North Carolina and beyond. So this is really about having an opportunity to, to bring uh, industry partners to the region and, and us being able then to help fill out that workforce demand uh, that's going to be here as, as more companies are wanting to move uh, to Carolina. And, and a lot of other institutions have created schools of data science, but we're excited about ours because it's a school of data science and society. And that is that we are um, trying to solve problems that society's facing through a, a data-driven approach and uh, one that's going to enable scholars and researchers to address real life problems that are facing communities uh, such as um, health disparities, such as uh, coastal resilience, especially you know, here in North Carolina and things of that nature. So uh, excited about the new School of Data Science and Society. Um, and then the last uh, a new initiative I'll, I'll say a bit about, and that has to do with our, our work around civil discourse and uh, civic life and leadership. and. Uh, I'm excited about uh, the way in which our program for public discourse has evolved over the past uh, three and a half, four years and the opportunities in front of us for uh, a, a new opportunity to build out the curriculum uh, for a school of civic life and leadership that will be uh, housed within the College of Arts and Sciences. And, uh, uh, you know, as the nation's first public university, we have a responsibility to be a place that brings together people of diverse backgrounds, experiences and viewpoints. Uh, to debate the issues of our time, and that's what this school and this program is going to do. Uh, and uh, I'm pleased that uh, collectively we're uh, embracing this as an important responsibility and that uh, we'll uphold uh, uh, that responsibility in preparing the next generation of leaders. So there'll be a lot more to come on on both uh, of these uh, uh, new initiatives, but uh, we're, we're excited about it. You've been a member of the faculty since 1995, and so you have a lot of experience with students. What is the biggest change you've seen in students in the last uh, 25 years? Well, you know, one of the things that, as I think about uh, when I entered college, I kind of thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and I jumped into a major and and, and ran with it. And I think uh, most people... uh, probably would, would say they did the same. 
today's students, I think, are, are more curious. They, they want to explore. And uh, one of the things I love about Carolina is that uh, you don't have to choose your major in your first semester or two. Uh, in our new general education curriculum that we launched this year, it's called Ideas in Action, uh, allows students to explore different disciplines. There's a new course called uh, um, Ideas, Information, and Inquiry, and it's a large lecture class. It's required of, of all first-year students in their first year, uh, co-taught by three faculty from three different disciplines, three different departments. Uh, around how they solve big problems. Uh, I mentioned health disparities before. You know, imagine a faculty member from, uh, you know, that teaches in health economics, another that teaches in psychology, and another that teaches in public health uh, around this topic. And um, and you expose the students to uh, the way they uh, ask questions, solve the big challenges, uh, and exposing those students to these different disciplines. And uh, I think it's going to open up students' eyes. It's going to allow them to be curious uh, and to think about maybe double majoring or making sure that they pick up a, a minor alongside their major. And, um, and that's what makes us, I think, a great public university is opportunities for students to explore. And that's one of the things that's different about today's student uh, than I think what uh, I, I experienced when I got here 28 years ago. Well, we talk a lot about uh, the cost of education. The state of North Carolina, of course, is one of the sources of revenue. Tuition is yet another. Research is yet another. But the uh, gifts and grants from alumni and friends of the university was never more evident than in the completion of a recent capital campaign in which you set all sorts of records. Talk about that, that huge, hugely successful campaign. Well, again, uh, Don, this is about having just an incredible team of people, and that team, of, that's everybody here at Carolina. It's, it's certainly our, uh, our world-class faculty, our devoted staff, uh, our incredible, um, you know, coaches and, uh, um, you know, our graduate students that uh, are helping to solve these big uh, challenges, problems around uh, our research faculty. Uh, it's about our development team that's out helping us to raise money, but it's about storytelling. When you have uh, great stories to tell about a magical place like the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, uh, you uh, you can go out and uh, raise $5.1 billion. And that's what we raised over about a seven-year, uh, seven, eight-year window. And uh, it was a really fun night at the Eddie Smith Fieldhouse on our campus, uh, as you know. Uh, on November the 18th, where we celebrated the close of, of that campaign. And, um, you know, we had a $4.25 billion goal that we set out uh, uh, several years ago, and we surpassed that goal. Um, uh, we hit that goal back in January of last year and, um, and then proceeded to continue to raise uh, a lot more money up through November, December, and uh, it's going to fund not just the billion dollars uh, in scholarship and aid that I mentioned earlier in the, in the show, uh, but it's supporting uh, programs like our that like that program for public discourse. It's uh, uh, supporting professorships, and uh, you know, so that we can uh, recruit and retain the the world class faculty that we enjoy uh, here at Carolina. It's uh, uh, some of it's supporting new buildings. Uh, uh, one in particular that I'm really proud of, uh, uh, I'm not sure you've heard of it, but it's called the media, uh, 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 the, the Curtis Media Center. And um, 
that is just an incredible new facility uh, that uh, is allowing our uh, journalism school to move up in the rankings and to win uh, the Hearst Award uh, in journalism for uh, the 13th year uh, out of the last 14 years. And so uh, it, it's just, uh, again, it's about story, great storytelling and uh, about, um, you know, the great uh, things we're able to accomplish here at Carolina that will um, uh, continue to have, uh, you know, people want to want to give uh, of their time, talent and treasure to Carolina. And thank you, Don, for all that you've done for us in that regard. Well, it's, it's certainly a pleasure and I've enjoyed every bit of it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the when we talk about the generous alumni, there are 300 and almost 360,000 alumni. But uh, there's a big change there because after many years, Doug Dilbert, uh, who has been heading up the Alumni Association, is re has retired, and we have a new GAA executive. You might want to comment on that. Yeah, uh, we're we're really ex well. First of all, we're uh, you know Doug uh, has been leading the General Alumni Association for forty one. Uh, years, uh, and I commented at, at the celebration uh, a few weeks ago, uh, where we sent Doug off and uh, uh, in style. And uh, I said 1982 was a really good year. I said uh, uh, many people don't know that uh, you know that was a year that both Doug Dibbert and uh, David Letterman debuted, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, Doug outlasted Letterman by eight years, um, but uh, and served uh, eight chancellors. Uh, but um, we are uh, in 82. I think, Don, you probably could talk a little bit, bit about 1982 when we uh, won the national championship in basketball. So that was uh, made 1982 for a really good year. But the General Alumni Association is going to be in great hands, uh, in Veronica's hands. And uh, uh, she's going to take uh, uh, she starts here in a few weeks. And uh, I know she's going to do a fantastic job. Well, you've got just about a minute to tell me what's at the very top of your list as uh, you uh, plan to go to work in uh, uh, at your job as Chancellor of the University of North Carolina uh, and uh, sort of the midpoint of the year. What are your plans for the rest of the year? Well, again, I think it's just making sure that we're ready to um... – uh, you know, to start off the academic year, we've got uh, this is going to be a large incoming class, one of the largest in the history of uh, of Carolina. And, uh, uh, you know, we are, um, uh, you know, looking forward to welcoming those students at our new student convocation and uh, and just making sure that they can, as I said earlier, have the, the same. Uh, they deserve the same opportunity that uh, uh, that, that those 360,000 living alums uh, that you mentioned earlier uh, enjoyed at Carolina. I think we're going to have an exciting fall uh, football season. Uh, we're welcoming uh, uh, fall sports season uh, beyond football, but I think we're going to have, we've got, as you know, soccer and a lot of other fun uh, events, uh, you know, on the campus. But uh, we're also, um, Again, it's just I hope that people can recharge batteries, our faculty, staff that are so dedicated to the campus and to the make sure these students have a great experience and they can recharge batteries here as we finish up the, the last month and a half of the summer. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Chancellor Godswitz, for your, your time. And if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear the entire broadcast. And, of course, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he will have another guest for us next week on this same group of stations across North Carolina. Have a good week, everybody.
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.